we invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, pausing our series in the Gospel of Mark to look at this text, 2 Corinthians in particular, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Just extend a greeting to those who are live streaming today. We have uh, an unusual number of people who are out because of sickness or other reasons and pray the Lord will uh, bless you even as you have to stay home today and are not able to gather with us. So 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, God's word is very rich and it ministers to us in a rich variety of ways. Paul had said that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He was writing that to Timothy in 2 Timothy. We could add to that list other things, including that God's word ministers comfort to us. Our text is found here in 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul is writing along with Timothy. You see that in the first verse. And he begins his letter by declaring the blessedness of God, by praising God, and not only as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but as you see there in verse 3, as the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So that's our theme this morning, God of all comfort. And I trust that it will be a word in season for many of us. Let me read the first seven verses here of 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia, or in, in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or our comfort also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Well, let's again seek the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Our God and Father, we again thank you that we can gather here. We thank you for this day, the beauty of this day, but especially that it's the Lord's day, that you've given it to us as a day of rest and of worship, and we pray it would be a great blessing to us. And Lord, we ask now that you would help us as we open your word. We pray for understanding. We pray for increasing light, and we pray that you would minister comfort to us. We ask that in our midst, Christ would be exalted, that all here would experience the comfort that comes through Christ. We ask in his name, amen. amen. Comfort, in whatever form that it comes, it comes in many different forms, comfort's one of the greatest blessings of this life. And it's a blessing that's experienced by all people. Even from life's first cry, a baby crying needs comfort and is comforted. Such is the kindness of God that all experience this comfort as we read in the psalm, Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all of his works. So everybody experiences comfort in this life to some extent. But we also acknowledge that in a special way, the people of God experience comfort. They alone know a true and lasting comfort because only God's people, only those trusting in Christ, know what it is to have a father in heaven and particular one who is 
Father of mercies and God of all comfort. In 1822, there was a man by the name of Philip Bennett Power who was born in Ireland, and he was a minister, and he ministered for about 20 years. In the prime of his life, his his health completely failed him. And for the remainder of his life, for about 34 years, he was a very weak and sick man. And 11 years into his sickness and in his weakness, he wrote a book, a little book that he called the Sick Man's Comfort Book, and it's now published as a book of comfort for those in sickness. And let me read for you the opening words of his introduction to that book. He says that amongst the many wonderful truths which are spoken of God in the Bible, one of the most wonderful and beautiful is that he is a God of comfort. Comfort is such a soothing word in itself that the moment we hear of it in connection with God, we are led to expect great things, some cheering, some lifting up, some refreshment, some ease, some lightening of our trouble something very good. So it's right for us, those of us reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, it's right for us to expect something very good, to expect great things, because our God is the true and living God, and he is worthy of all praise. And Paul would especially have us look here as he says, blessed be this God, he wants us to consider especially that he is the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. And not simply the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. But he draws this out. He could have said many other things. He could have said, blessed be God for his infinite wisdom, for his infinite power, for his goodness, for his justice, for his truth. But he draws this out at this time as he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit to this church and also to us today. So as we look at this text, we're first and primarily going to consider God's ministry of comfort to us, to his people. So firstly, we have here God's ministry of comfort to his people. Now for Paul, these truths were intensely personal and intensely practical. He's not writing this from some isolated ivory tower as somebody who's just interested in theoretical ideas. He's writing as a man who has faced much tribulation and suffering and distress and who has in the midst of that suffering experience firsthand the reality that God is a God of all comfort. Look at verse 5. He says, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So Paul knew knew what it was to have an abundance of suffering and an abundance of comfort through Christ. So he's just the man to give the Corinthians and to give to us this encouragement. Now, as he's writing this, he's recently been delivered from a great trial. Look at verse 8 as he's describing this. And then on into verse 10, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So Paul, in a fresh way, has been reminded of what he now is writing to these Corinthians. Nobody could say, Paul, you don't understand. Paul, you've not suffered, and therefore you cannot speak to these things. Paul is just the man to speak these words. Now, as we look at this text, notice two key words, tribulation and comfort. And they go together, tribulation and comfort. The need for comfort arises out of some tribulation or some distress. If we didn't have tribulation, we didn't have distress, we wouldn't need the comfort. So they're wed together. Comfort always implies some kind of discomfort. 
Now, the literal meaning of this word tribulation, it's very vivid. It's pressure or squeezing. There's a related verb which can mean to press or even to squash. So this accurately captures how we feel in times of distress. We feel some kind of outward pressure and even the inward pressures on our soul and we can feel squeezed. This is the affliction and the tribulation that Paul is speaking of. We've all more or less known this feeling because tribulation marks our existence in this life in this fallen world, and especially as believers. That comes out in the text in verse 5 because Paul speaks of his abundant sufferings as the sufferings of Christ. So it was in particular, not just as a man living in this world, but in particular as a man of God and a servant of Christ that Paul suffered. Remember when Jesus was speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he's seeking to encourage them But he says to them, in the world, you will have tribulation, especially as my disciples, he is saying. When Paul and Barnabas went on their tour and they were seeking to strengthen the souls of the disciples, as we read in Acts 14, and we read that they were exhorting them to continue in the faith. What was it that they were saying? They said, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So as God's people, we can expect more tribulation. But if we can expect more tribulation, Paul is saying we can expect more comfort, more consolation. Because he says that God comforts us in all of our tribulations. So it comes to us in our tribulations, this comfort does, and it comes because of these tribulations. Now what is comfort? Well, as it's used here, the word refers to consolation. It's consolation. It's what lifts the burdened soul, comfort. It cheers the downcast. It calms the troubled heart. It strengthens the weak hands and the feeble knees. It makes firm. This is comfort. This is consolation. And even encouragement at times could be an appropriate word here. I want you next to notice that Paul has in mind a rich and generous supply of divine comforts. It's rich and it's generous. You see this in his use of a little word, all, and he uses it twice. So you see first there, God is the God of all comfort, not just God of comfort, of all comfort, and we might say of every kind of comfort. So his comfort is abundant, not just in quantity, but in variety. It's a rich supply and a generous supply of comfort. But look secondly, where he says that he comforts us in all our tribulation. That means whatever tribulation we might face. God has comfort for us that is suited to our needs. We need to take that by faith. And that's an encouragement in itself to think of that. God, in my present circumstance, which you know perfectly, you have told me that you will comfort me. You have comfort for me in my need. So there's no tribulation that lies beyond the comfort and consolation of God. We might say beyond the compassionate reach of the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now, you know from experience that this does not mean that God will deliver us out of every tribulation. He might do that as he's done for Paul. Remember, as we just read in verse 10, Paul said, God delivered us. We thought we were going to die. We had despaired and God plucked us out of that. So he might do that. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that God will support us and comfort us in our tribulation. Later in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's going to write about that famous thorn in the flesh, which we have no idea what it was. We can guess. Some guesses better than others. But what we know is that whatever it was, it was a source of great pain And it was a source of distress in his life, so much so that Paul pleaded three times with the Lord that he might take it from him. 
And the Lord said, no. And said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul found great comfort and even joy in that answer from the Lord. Now we ask the question, how does God comfort his people? What does that look like? Well, for one, as we look at the text, we see that he does it abundantly. He does it abundantly, and he does it even in proportion to our suffering. Again, verse 5, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And then notice, too, that the consolation and comfort, it's the same word, abounds through Christ. And that means it's mediated to us through Christ. So God abundantly comforts. He does so through Christ. But we also ask, well, in what ways does he do this? How does he comfort us? God's comforts are manifold. They are many and various. And the psalmist recognized this. In Psalm 94, he says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Or the hymn writer, we just sung a line there, unnumbered comforts to my soul, thy tender care bestowed, before my infant heart conceived, from whom those comforts flowed. So we have a rich variety. We could not make a complete catalog if we tried to make a complete catalog of the comforts that God has for his people. But I do want us now to consider a few of the comforts of the God of all comfort. And I want us to consider first that we're comforted by God himself. That's what Paul is emphasizing in this text. It's God who comforts us. Drawing from the rest of scripture, we can fill that out a bit. We can elaborate. But notice first the connection here between God's pity and his compassion and his comfort. The father of mercies and God of all comfort. That's tied together. Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul means for us to take it together. So that God's mercies here, which refer to his tender feeling of pity, especially for those who are in distress, his mercies are behind the comfort. His comfort is, is flowing out of this mercy, flowing out of his pity, flowing out of his compassion. You see this in Christ, right? As he's moved, stirred with compassion, we see that he acts he takes action upon that stirring of compassion to teach or to heal or to feed, whatever it was. It's the same with God flowing out of this tender feeling of pity for us in distress. He comforts us. This language here calls to mind Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, where we read that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. This thought itself is comforting that God pities us, he knows us, he remembers our frame. It's an encouragement to approach God because we know that he loves us and cares for us. If he has this kind of compassion on us, is he not ready and willing to hear us if we cry out to him? If he's a compassionate God, especially in the midst of distress, ought we not to be encouraged to cry out in distress and to know that he will hear us when we cry out? Well, as we continue this catalog and we think, well, what are the comforts of God? How does he comfort us? Well, he does it also with his very presence. God comforts us with his presence. Beloved Psalm to many, Psalm 23 where we read, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he explains, for you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the presence of the shepherd. As he's being led through that dark valley, the presence of the shepherd with rod and staff in hand, he says, comforts me. And what a comfort to know that God will never leave us 
or forsake us. God is not a distant God that is out there somewhere, but the Bible says he's near to us. Uh, he's a very present help in trouble, the psalmist says in Psalm 46.1. In Psalm 121.5, he is described, he says, he's your shade at your right hand. He's not your shade over there. You know shade when it's hot is a relief and it comforts us. But shade that's over there isn't giving you relief. It's shade at your right hand. He's near to comfort you. He's near to all who call upon him, Psalm 145, 18. And we could go on and on. So God comforts us with his very presence. Now, in the greater light of the New Testament, we as New Covenant believers have the promise of John 14, when Jesus said to his disciples, I will send, and he says the Father will send too, another helper to be with you constantly. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And there the Holy Spirit is called the helper. It could be translated the comforter. He is the comforter, the spirit of truth, Jesus says, who dwells with you and will be in you. If you're a Christian, you have this. This is beyond our comprehension. But Jesus says, you have the comforter dwelling in you. You have the spirit of Christ. You have the second person, third person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit to comfort you from within in all of your trials. God's power intimately related to his presence and it's very comforting. So he's with us, but he's with us as an omnipotent God. Someone might say, well, I'll be with you, but I'm so weak, I can't help you. God is saying, I'm with you, and I have all power and all strength. Do you remember when Paul was forsaken? He writes about it in 2 Timothy 4. He says, everybody in my need has forsaken me. All of my friends. But what did he say? The Lord, the Lord stood with me. And they said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He was with him to strengthen him. 2 Timothy 4, 17. When Paul was afflicted with weakness, Christ strengthened him by his grace and power so that Paul could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Then I am strong. What about God's peace? It's no small comfort in our tribulation. His peace. And first what we might call foundational peace, fundamental peace, peace with God, that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, that our sins have been dealt with. This is the fundamental peace, and this is a comfort. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But from that and through Jesus Christ, we also have what we could consider subjective peace, and that's peace from God flowing to us through Jesus Christ. We have peace, especially in response to prayers. Philippians 4, many of you have probably memorized these words. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, where Paul is saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Will comfort you through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, in particular, in response to prayer. God's pardon. As we're thinking of that peace that we have with God, we can't, we can't not think of his pardon, the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And this is comfort beyond words. When troubled by our sins, and that's no small part of our trouble in this life, that when God saves us, he does not completely sanctify us. It's a process, and there's remaining sin, and we have battles, and we have fights. So when you're troubled by your sin, God would not have you just to wallow in your sin and to look upon your sin and upon your failure, but he would say, look up and look to Christ. And look to what he 
has accomplished for you. And what is that? That's our redemption, our reconciliation with God. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 7. We have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. So when you're troubled by your sins, I'm not saying to sweep them under the rug and say it's no big deal. Godly grief is good. It's part of repentance. But we ought to look to Christ and be comforted and know that we have a full and free pardon in him. It's a consolation to our souls. Again, Psalm 103 puts it this way, to know that God has not dealt with us according to our sins. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. Isaiah 40, God commands his messengers to comfort his people. And what does he say? He says, speak to their hearts. And he says, cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Comfort them. So apart from the pardoning grace of God, there's no true comfort. You could have all the comforts in this life. You could have all of the things that people look to to comfort them. All the things maybe that money could buy or couldn't buy, whatever it might be. And yet if you didn't have your sins forgiven, there would be no true and lasting comfort. Now finally, as we give this very brief catalog... Consider the sweet comforts of God's care, his paternal care, his fatherly care, but also his pastoral care. His paternal or fatherly care is suggested even by our text when he's called the father of mercies. He's the father of mercies, of pity, of compassion. Children under the care of a good father are comforted. Children run to their parents for comfort when they're hurt. And they find comfort, but how much more are we comforted under the care of our perfect and compassionate Heavenly Father? What about sheep? Elsewhere, God's care for us is described in pastoral terms. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's saying, I shall lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I'm under his care. When a sheep is under the care of a good shepherd, a conscientious shepherd, he's safe, he's calm. And how much more is that true of us under the Lord's care, the shepherd of our souls? So as our father and shepherd, we know that the Lord loves us. He provides for us. He guides us. He protects us. And just in this, there's unnumbered comforts if we would meditate on these things and dwell on these truths that we have in the word of God. So that's just something to get you thinking as you consider this and meditate upon. This is the God of all comfort who comforts us himself, himself. But as we expand this, I want to also think about how God comforts us by his word. He does so by himself, but he does it by his word. And I wouldn't draw a sharp distinction between this because it's his word. But I do want to emphasize that in the word of God here, which we have access to, in the word of God is an inexhaustible treasury of comfort. Inexhaustible treasury of comfort. Now, the older we get and the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we understand this. As you read scripture, as you go through life, as different verses at different time, different passages come and are brought to your attention and brought to your heart and comfort, you, you, you grow to understand this. Now, on a very basic level, I understood this when I was just a boy. I found several years ago one of my old Bibles and it had these pages on the front, and it had these fill-in-the-blank questions. Some of them were just silly questions, but one was, what do you do when you're afraid? It said, I blank, and I had written in there, I read the Bible. And so e even at that young age, when I knew so little of the Bible, I knew that there was comfort in the word of God. And I can distinctly remember going to the Bible and being comforted in reading what I knew to be the word of God. 
There's comfort in the word. Paul speaks of the comfort of the scriptures. In Romans 15, 4, he says, whatever things were written before, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He says, those were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We've been reading Psalm 119 here. We just read two more stanzas, and Kyle was mentioning this. But the psalmist often says that in his affliction, he sought and he received comfort from the word of God. Let me give you just a few examples. He says, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 28. He goes on to say, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life. This is my comfort. He says, I went to the word. Those are verses 49 and 50. Verse 52, he says, I have remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. He's saying, I needed comfort, and I stopped, and I thought about your judgments of old, written in the word of God, and as I thought about it, I was comforted. He goes on to say in verse 92, verse 76, he says, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant. And then the last example I will give is verse 92. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Have you not found that to be the case? Those of you who have gone through some affliction can echo what he says here in saying, yes, if God's word had not been my delight, had not been written on my heart, had not been called to my mind, I would have perished in my affliction. Now, some comfort is to be found on virtually every page of scripture, but what exactly, in what truths do we find comfort? Give this some thought, maybe write down your own list. How does the word of God comfort you? Think of that. I would begin, though, with God's perfections, his most holy attributes, because sometimes what we need in our trials, what we need most sometimes is just simply to be reminded of who God is and what he is, who God is and what he is. We need to hear again about God and his power and his love and his grace and his sovereignty and all of those things. And yes, there are many practical things that can minister to us, but this, when we hear of God's perfections, we're comforted. But we're also comforted by the word because it reveals to us God's plans and purposes. It reveals to us his plans and purposes. So when life seems chaotic, when the world just seems totally hectic, your life seems hectic, we know that the universe isn't ruled by chance. We know that nothing is actually random, that God is sovereign. We know that the details of our lives are in his hands, and he's working all things out. We read in the word of God that he has an eternal purpose. He has a decree, and he's executing it. He's carrying it out. We read that in all of our suffering, God has good designs. And on and on we could go. We read about the plans and the purposes of God, and that comforts us and allows us to see beyond our present trials. We could go on and on with the comforts of the word, we could look to his precepts. We could look to the promises, the many precious promises of God, his mighty works. We could look at his many mercies. You can't exhaust the comforts of his word. So there's just a simple observation in this, and that is if you don't know the word of God, you are robbing yourself of much comfort that God would want to minister to you. This is one of the reasons he's given us his word, that we might be comforted. So, yes, we can be saved, 
and know very little of the word of God. And often people who are saved and have no background, maybe, maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian home, they know very little. You think of the Philippian jailer. Did he know much of the word of God when he was saved? Probably not. But he would have learned it. He would have been taught. So yes, you can be saved and know very little of the word of God, but to know very little of the word of God is also to know little of God's comfort. You can be a Christian and not know Psalm 23, but what a loss not to have those precious words to meditate upon. Imagine not knowing the opening verses of a chapter like John 14, where Jesus is saying, I've gone and I've prepared a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to come. I'm going to return and receive you to myself. Imagine not knowing a chapter like Romans 8. Imagine not knowing the words of Revelation 21, where we read about the new heavens and the new earth and all of the glories of that existence, where God's going to dwell with his people. He's going to be our God, where we read about how he's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more death, no, no sorrow, no crying. None of that will exist. There's going to be no more pain. All things will be made new. We need to know that. So we're comforted by God himself. We're comforted by his word. And we're comforted by his people. And that's going to lead us into the second and shorter point here that I want to make. The point that Paul is making. God comforts us by his people. So we've seen God's ministry of comfort to us but now I want us to think about our ministry of comfort to others. So let's consider that here, our ministry of comfort to others. For the Christian, there's no such thing as meaningless suffering. And I'm not saying you'll know all of the purposes of God in your suffering, but we do know that behind our suffering, behind anything, stands God's purpose. And one purpose in our suffering is revealed here in our text in verse 4. As he's speaking of the God of all comfort, he says, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. So you're going through something. You say, why am I going through this? Well, God has many purposes, and one of them you can consider is because God knows there's other people who are going to go through it, and he wants to use you to minister to them. That's at least one reason, and that's what Paul focuses on. So in and through our suffering, Paul is saying God equips us for ministry. Now, it's a hard road, but, but Paul is saying that God makes us more useful to minister to others and to help others as we are brought through suffering and are comforted by God. We see this clearly illustrated in the life of Paul, who has suffered so much, and now he is able to comfort others. You see it in a man like Philip Power that I mentioned there that wrote that comfort book in his sickness, was able to comfort others. We see it in countless ways here in our midst as we comfort one another. And you have probably experienced this in your own life, that as you go through a new trial, something you've never experienced, you find that at the end of that, you are better equipped to come alongside others. This is truly a ministry. It's a labor of love to comfort others. It's an exercise of true religion. And it's one of the best ways that we can bear each other's burdens, to comfort each other with God's comfort. And this can be a very fruitful ministry. It's a ministry that has a way of multiplying, a ministry of comfort. So Paul lays it out here. He said, God comforts you in your tribulation. He does that by himself. He does it by his word. He does it by his people. But God comforts you. And with the comfort that you receive, you then are equipped to comfort other people. And then in turn, those people are able to comfort others. So it has a way of multiplying as we comfort each other. It also has a way of coming back around. And we see this later in the letter. The Corinthians had comforted Titus. And Titus had comforted Paul. And Paul's now comforting 
the Corinthians. In chapter 7, you can turn there if you like or just listen. Chapter 7, Paul is explaining this. In chapter 7, verses 5 to 7, how this ministry of comfort has come back around. He says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So the ministry of comfort came right back around to the Corinthians. Now, practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we minister God's comfort to others? Well, Paul teaches us here a very simple lesson, but it is a very useful and practical lesson. And that is that our ministry of comfort to others should reflect God's ministry of comfort to us. Verse 4, we are to comfort with the comfort with which we have received. Now, how often have you felt totally unprepared to help somebody, to comfort somebody? In their time of need, you want to be there, you want to be a blessing, and you have no idea where to begin. Well, next time that happens, ask yourself some questions. Think about those times of trouble in your life and how God had comforted you in the midst of your trouble. Think about it. Were you particularly helped by some truth in God's word? Was there some promise that was precious to you and ministered to you? Think about that, and you can bring that to somebody. Maybe it was someone's presence that comforted you, and you remember just by them being there, and you can say, okay, I can do that. I can show up, and I can be there. Maybe by somebody's prayers you were comforted. You can say, well, I can pray. Did God comfort you through someone who just wept with you? put their arm around you and entered into your situation? Did God comfort you by a simple act of love and concern? It could have been a card, a phone call, a kind text message, a meal, a hug, whatever it is. Take some time to think about that. How have I been comforted? What has been a blessing to me in my trials? That's how God has comforted you. And Paul is saying, you then are able to comfort others with that same comfort. Now, whatever the case, it's clear that a ministry of comfort requires some kind of contact, personal contact. It might be a text message, it might be a call, it might be a letter, but ideally, the best kind of comfort is usually face-to-face, -face. this sort of intimate contact. And that's one of the reasons why we should not neglect to gather on the Lord's Day. There's many reasons. We come here to worship above all. We come to hear from God, to open his word, to sing his praises. But we also gather here to encourage and to admonish and to comfort each other. We come here to lift up our voices in praise to God together with one voice, singing together speaking to one another, Paul says. That's part of why we sing congregationally, so that we can hear each other's voices. We are speaking truth to each other. We're comforting each other. We come to pray together, together to come to the throne of grace and make our requests known to the God of all comfort. So we gather here, and this is part of the reason, to comfort each other, even as we're worshiping God. So if you're in the midst of tribulations, I would say that being here, if you're able, is one of the best things that you can do. And isolating yourself is one of the worst things. Now, I'm not referring to those who would come but cannot come. There's a difference between saying, I am able to come and yet I don't want to. I'm speaking of a deliberate isolation of cutting yourself off. And I know the temptation. When you're going through trials, you're going through something, sometimes you don't want to see people. You want to cut yourself off. There's that temptation to withdraw. 
It can be hard to face others in your times of suffering. But to isolate ourselves is to cut ourselves off from much of God's comfort. Now, many of you know and love Albert Martin. And after nearly 50 years of marriage, he lost his first wife to cancer. He had remarried and has also since lost his second wife. But nearly 50 years of marriage, he lost his wife. And it was a time of, of great grieving for him, as you can imagine. And it was a few years later after that, that he published a book called Grieving, Hope, and Solace. And that book represents, among other things, his ministry of comfort to others flowing out of the comfort that God had ministered to him. And in that book, he offers a prayer that encapsulates really the message of our text. And so let me read it to you. He says that as we reach out and receive God's gracious comfort in the midst of our grieving, let us pray along these lines. My father, you have brought me into this crucible of grief that I may experience more fully the reality of your heart as the God of all comfort. As I am comforted, mold and shape me into a more useful instrument to mediate that comfort to others. May I never forget that what you are doing in me by your grace is to the end that you may do something new and through me as a distributor of that grace to others. So we all need comfort, and especially in times of tribulation. And it's true that the world offers some comforts, family, friends, food. But we all know that the best comforts of this life are like a vapor, just a, a fleeting vapor, here and gone. But the comfort that is experienced by Paul, the comfort that he is talking about here in our text and seeking to minister to us is of a totally different nature. It's divine comfort. It's God's comfort. And he says that it flows abundantly to us and it's mediated through Jesus Christ. It's coming from the creator and the sustainer of all things, this comfort it's rooted in sovereign love, mediated through Christ by the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So in a word, this is the best possible comfort that Paul is speaking of. So I ask, are you troubled this morning? Are you facing some distressing trial? You feel that, that squeezing, even squashing, the tribulation, the trouble of soul. I know that many of you are, and that was Part of the reason I wanted to bring this message, that many of us in various ways are going through troubling things. And if Paul's God is your God, then take heart and be encouraged by what Paul is writing here. Because the true and living God is the one who comforts the downcast. He comforts the downcast. As your troubles abound, also your comforts will abound through Christ. But there are some of you who are still looking outside of Christ for comfort. Some of you who are looking to the comforts of this world exclusively and, and not in relationship to Christ. And I want to be clear again that the comforts of this world, though they might give you some comfort temporarily, they cannot last. You can't take them to the grave. They're not strong enough to support you in your greatest trials. They will break and they will leave you on the ground without the help that you need. Now, the first and the greatest thing that you need is to be right with God because of your sin. You hear that again and again and again. And I remind you this morning, you need to be right with God. And there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me. And he says that as one who is gentle and lowly, who wants to comfort and to encourage, but especially to give life. He says, come to me 
and find rest for your souls. There's true comfort and everlasting consolation only found in Christ. That's what I'm saying. So you could try it. You could try to be comforted in this life. Maybe you say, I've got an easy life so far. But think about this. Tribulation will come to you. Maybe let your mind go there and say, what's the worst thing that I can imagine and the greatest suffering that I can imagine? And ask yourself, what will be your comfort then? Or think about your deathbed. Some of you who are young here, young people die too. Think about your deathbed and what will comfort you then as you face eternity and will stand before God. So let this be a reminder that there's comfort, there's life, there's everlasting consolation only in Christ. So come to Christ by faith. And I'll end with this benediction from 2 Thessalonians 2. Now may the God, or may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. Thank you for this word of comfort, this ministry of comfort. For your faithful servant, Paul, who wrote these things by your Holy Spirit so that we receive them as your very words to us. Thank you even for the reminder that you are the father of mercies who pities us. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. Lord, help us to take these things to heart, especially those among us who are suffering, who are facing those pressures, those distresses. We pray that you would minister to them today. And Lord, that you would be equipping us as a church to minister to one another and to bear each other's burdens. And Lord, that there would be some here who today would know what it is to have that comfort that is mediated through Christ, the best sort of comfort, that they would know what it is to have their sins forgiven, your wrath turned away from them, to be made right with you, to be able to look to you and pray to you as their Father in heaven. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.